Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 244 for the 1st of July, Canada Day, 2016. I'm Chester Wisniewski here once again with my guest, Paul Ducklin. Well, what's exciting this week in the world of computer security? While North America parties, the rest of us have to concern ourselves with all those cyber crooks out there, I guess. Well, being that it is Canada Day, I guess we can start out with the Beaver Gang counter story. Uh, there's It was some malware that made it into the Google store. <laughs> I should have seen that one coming. <laughs> but I, I, I thought, you know, this is kind of an interesting story in that I, I think people are getting really too relaxed sometimes about mobile security and the thought that, hey, you know, I don't break the rules. Apple's got my back. Google's got my back. Uh, you know, as long as I'm not pirating stuff and, and doing anything rudy or hacky, uh, I'll be fine, right? It's one of those zillions of small and simple apps that will appeal to certain people who have a particular interest. In this case, it's a card game called Beaver Gang. We've all done this. Hey, that app looks interesting. I'll try it out. It's got the blessing of Google or Apple or whatever. Hey, it's not up to much. I don't really like it. And you immediately install, uninstall it and you kind of think no more of it. It's all part of supposedly the good, clean fun of the millions of mobile apps out there. But in this case, even in that short time where you realize you might as well just write down the scores in, on a piece of paper with a pen. By the time you realize that and uninstall it, it's actually gone into your Viber. That's a Skype or WhatsApp like app with hundreds of millions of users. It's gone into your Viber directories and stolen all your images, all your, all your photo files. Yeah, I, I, it's getting strange how uh, behavior changes, you know, when you start learning about these threats and, and, and what these apps can do with seemingly, you know, innocuous uh, permissions. Like in this case, I think the permission was something about accessing external storage media, like an SD card, uh, which in fact on my particular Android device is a a emulated folder because the, the popular thing for the last couple of years is not to even provide an SD card slot. The idea is that with Android, every app essentially has its own user ID and its own set of files. So using Linux file permissions and user IDs, it pretty much keeps the data files of individual apps apart. And that's a great idea because it means that if you install malware, like in this case, the Beaver Gang Counter app, then in theory, it shouldn't be able to read any other app's files, except that many apps put big files on your external SD card because that saves space on the device itself, <laughs> ironically, to try out more apps. So what you end up with, at least in the Android ecosystem, is quite good file and app separation on the device. But when it comes to the external storage, it's a kind of all or nothing permission. An app can either read nothing on the SD card at all, or it can read everything. And that's exactly the permission that this particular app uses. And unfortunately, it's not really considered a very controversial permission for apps to have. Yeah, I, I think that, that that's precisely it. In fact, I, I, you know, I started looking at app behavior for the RSA talk I did last year, a little over a year and a half ago, and it really frightened me. The kinds of permissions and the, the, the sloppiness with which applications uh, secured their information at, to the point that when I install things now, I almost aim for the ones that charge me rather than the free ones because I'm afraid of the free ones. I'm afraid they're trying to take information from my device and I won't know as a way to somehow pay for the freeness of the app. And I look and I'm like, ooh, this one's $1.99. I'll try that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 
Now, moving along to uh, uh, other types of security, Uber's in the news again. And this time around, on Naked Security, you wrote up about how these researchers were able to intentionally target sort of uh, less frequently used or, let's be fair, abused components of Uber's system and then see what types of information they could get. They then combined all that knowledge together into making it a much more interesting story. A little bit of information leakage doesn't sound like it's such a bad thing. Well, you know, it's, it's something everybody already knows. What's the harm in learning my email address? But yet, if you leak a little here and you leak a little there and you start collecting up all the bits, uh, you actually can do something rather harmful. Yes, I just thought it was a great, a great story worth telling. Uh, some three Portuguese researchers who decided to have a go at Uber's services entirely legally, I must say. They followed Uber's bug bounty program. This is the, the new Uber that's trying to do security right instead of having to keep explaining why they might have done it wrong. One of the examples was they found that there was a help screen which would send back saying, oh, thanks for your comment. We'll be sending you an email too, and it would put in your email address. And there was some mix-up in the web form between in the HTTP headers between the authentication, the session token, which is supposed to authenticate the user, and the user's unique identifier, which is a random string that's associated with you, like a username that you're unlikely to be able to guess. Eventually, they discovered that they could substitute your user ID for their login token, and it would come back and give your email address. It's not really a leak, you'd think, because, hey, they'd have to know your user identifier anyway, and how on earth are they going to get that? Uh, it's still a bug, though, because the system is not supposed to behave like that. Something very hard to find in testing, though. And then they just chanced to find another part of the app where something to do with fair splitting, where a reply would come back, which would reveal their unique user identifier, this random string. And it turns out that the fair splitting interface works on phone number. So basically what they discovered is using Uber as the broker, they basically have a phone number to email address lookup service using two completely unrelated parts of the system. Yeah, I think it, it, I, I like the outcome, right? The, the, the testers were being creative. They were ethical. They worked with the vendor within the guidelines of a bug bounty program. It seems like all the way around, it was kind of a, to me, it was just kind of a win. And I, I just, I, I loved how persistent they were. And I think that's one of the things that when we've talked about these stories in the past is always seems to come to the front in every one of these cases. I know you and I discussed, I think Facebook was the last time we talked about this and Facebook and some of the the things that were found in their most recent public bug bounty uh, uh, posting. It's always this persistence and just let's explore and see what's here and let's try to turn all the pieces every possible direction to see if they fit together in some interesting way. And I think that that's the appeal for a lot of people of uh, doing this as a hobby. I mean, I, I've got some friends of mine that, you know, on weekends as a hobby, they participate in bug bounty programs to make a few bucks, but largely because it's a giant puzzle and it's fun and it's a challenge and you're actually making a difference. Chester, the other thing about the article is it gave us a chance to put down three tips for would-be bounty hunters, because it's easy to go off the rails if you've not done it before. And the three tips are read the terms and conditions and stick to both the spirit and the letter of the bug bounty program. The company is effectively doing you a favour by offering you a chance to win money, so do it on their terms. If you don't like it, don't join. 
disclose responsibly. You know, if they ask you to wait and you agree, then keep your word and don't get impatient and think, oh, I want the glory now and to hell with the money, I'm going to go public. That's not an ethical thing to do. And if you don't get the response you want or you think you deserve out of the bug bounty program, don't break the law to prove your point. For example, by going and stealing a load of data and saying, it is more serious than you said, because look, I got these 100,000 records. And if you do break the law to prove a point, don't expect any sympathy if you get caught. Now, I'm going to put my uh, asbestos trousers on because I'm going to say some controversial things about Windows 10 that are going to upset some random amount of people for seemingly reasons I'll probably not understand. But this Windows 10 update thing has irritated a lot of people out there. And I've seen and heard a lot of uh, very negative feedback about the aggressiveness with which Microsoft is approaching providing Windows 10 as a, quote, update. Uh, and of course, as, as a free update, if you're running a, a legal licensed version of Windows 7 or Windows 8, I, I don't know that this is such a bad thing. I, I had some experiences recently, including setting up for our big sales and partner conferences that we did back in April and May. And I was demonstrating one of our new products and it's best demoed on Windows 10. So I built this really great Windows 10 VM, uh, installed our product. I created this whole hacker demo thing. In fact, I think we're going to be publishing a video of it on the, our website quite soon. I was quite proud of it. And I thought, boy, if I could get my malware demo to work in this Windows 10 demo, I you know, tried to run the demo and, you know, one Windows 10 feature would get in the way and then another Windows 10 feature would get in the way. So I, uh, you and I have talked extensively about uh, uh, font abuse in the Windows kernel, uh, one of my pet peeves of, of bugs. And of course, Windows 10 is the first version of Windows that moves font parsing outside of the kernel. So you don't automatically get kernel level privileges when you exploit a font. You know, Windows 10 has a lot to offer from a mitigation standpoint in security, and every individual needs to make up their own mind, whether they like it or they don't like it, whether they're concerned about the privacy, uh, all these other things. But don't stay in the past from a security standpoint, no different than you shouldn't be on XP. Going to Windows 10 is a major improvement in the security capability of your operating system compared to Windows 7. And don't discount that too much, folks. Well... When we wrote, it was about a month ago, that story about the recommended update that told you, hey, we've decided you're about to get the Windows 10 upgrade. Seems a lot of people cleared that window without reading it, got the update overnight and came in in the morning and went, oh, no, I never wanted Windows 10. So I can see why some people got quite annoyed. We ran a poll on Naked Security to find out what our readers thought. And nearly 80% of people did say they thought that dialogue simply wasn't clear enough. So they're not surprised that people considered it sneaky. But to my surprise, I thought the percentage would be a lot smaller. 20% of people agreed with the, with the proposition that it's your duty to read a notification before dismissing it. And if you don't, and then what happens to your computer is exactly what it told you in big letters was going to happen, then you kind of only got yourself to blame. Anyway, Microsoft, it seems they sort of listened. And for the last month that the Windows 10 upgrade is free, they've adapted that dialogue. And it is, I must agree, very, very, very much clearer. And there's a button that says decline. No, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, if for people that don't want Windows 10, uh, at least not at the moment, you you may wish to image your system, uh, let Microsoft say that you're going to do the upgrade just to log you the free copy of it in Microsoft's cloud service and then go back to your Windows 7 or whatever. That's that's something for people to consider. And if your computer did get upgraded and you don't like Windows 10, uh, there is a revert back to the previous operating system option, I've been told. 
although I haven't tried that myself, um, you know, that, that you might be able to take advantage of. I have to be honest, I'm probably the wrong person to ask about this. If I were not a Mac user and I had a Windows computer, then I would upgrade to Windows 10 just because I think it looks so much more usable than Windows 7. So I'd do it for the looks alone, <laughs> for the form rather than the function. But I concluded that article about this, the new upgrade dialogue by saying Windows 10 is harder to hack. It really is. And I mean it. And I'm glad to hear you reinforcing that with some very specific first-hand experience with real-world exploits. It makes things more difficult for the crooks. It makes it more expensive for them. How can we not all win? Thanks for that, Doc. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And that will conclude Sofa Security Chat Chat 244. As always, the latest and most important security news is over at nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All of our podcasts are available through our RSS feed, the TuneIn app, the Google Play Store, and of course, iTunes and other fine podcast players. And uh, until next time, stay secure.